You are listening to Serve, Protect, Lead, a podcast from the International Association of Chiefs of Police, where you will hear from ICP leadership and police leaders across the globe, sharing wisdom, insight, and perspective. All right. Hello, everybody. My name is Dr. Jeff Thompson, and this is the Police Resilience Podcast. It's been created specifically for law enforcement across the country, across the world. This isn't about fluffy conversations. Nope, it's about understanding the science behind real resilience and how we, as police, need to make sure we're taking care of ourselves. That's not selfish. It's smart. And again, my name is Jeff. I'm a research scientist at Columbia Psychiatry. I'm also a law enforcement detective. And we're trying to have real conversations here. And we're trying to bring people together, both experts in the field, as well as experts in policing. And let's have a real conversation. I'm glad you're listening and you're tuning in because we have a really unique topic for today, for this third episode. It's on the topic of awe. And considering we're going to be talking about awe, we're burning some awesome people, no pun intended. But don't worry, we're not going to edit this out anyway because I'm full of bad puns anyway. You can't see this because this is audio. My awesome two guests are already laughing at my bad jokes. But in all seriousness, what we do for a living is serious stuff in policing. we got to make sure we try and have fun. But also, while we look at this topic of of awe, and you already might be wondering, maybe because of my New York accent, the word I'm saying, A-W-E, awe. And we have two fantastic experts. The first expert we'll have with us today is a researcher in the science of awe. And she's going to share some pretty phenomenal stuff. But let me tell you first, before we hear from her, Dr. Jennifer Steller, she's an assistant professor in psychology at the University of Toronto. As the director of the Health, Emotions, and Altruism Laboratory, her research examines the forces that drive pro-sociality and morality. Dr. Steller investigates a family of emotions called self-transcendent emotions. For example, awe, compassion, gratitude, and she explores how individuals encourage moral behavior and uphold moral norms. Her work aims to answer a fundamental question about humans. How do we transcend our own self-focus to care about other people, groups, and society as a whole? And Dr. Steller, it's really, it's amazing that you've taken the time to be here with us. So thank you so much. No, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to have this conversation. I think we'll have a lot to share uh, with each other. So thank you. Great. Thank you. And our other expert guest that we're going to have today is Chief Neil Gang. Police Chief Neil Gang has served in law enforcement for over 32 years. He's been the chief of police for the Pinole Police Department since 2014. Chief Gang is the chair of the California Police Chiefs Association Officer Wellness and Resiliency Committee. He's the author of the Azure Model 7 Point Approach to the Culture of Wellness, and he's the host of the Six Pillar Podcast. And he was named the Public Safety Hero of the Year by the House of Representatives in 2020. And his work has been featured in the ISDP Police Chief Magazine. And Chief, it's really, really great to have you here. I know some of the phenomenal work that you've been involved in. So I'm really looking forward to gaining your insight and you've been able to share with everybody. So Chief, thanks for being here with us. Yeah, I'm so blessed to be here, uh, Jeff, and uh, just to be honored to be part of this with uh, Dr. Stellar. I've watched her work and uh, been in awe of her work, if you will. Uh, But I I continue to learn. And I think as police leaders, we really have to be progressive and, and innovative and bring strategic approaches to helping our people. I think helping our people has to be our number one priority, right? They're our number one resource. So we have to make sure that they're healthy enough to do the job we need them to do. So thanks so much for having me. 
Yeah, and you know, it's a one thing before we jump into the bit of this art topic. I really, I like how you said that too. And a key component to this podcast of what we're striving to do is bringing people on that don't just talk talk to talk, right? It's anybody can say these things, right? Anybody could throw around this catchphrase of resilience. Anybody can say, oh yeah, they, they can make fun of or or belittle it. But it's why we brought somebody on like you, Chief, especially is because you back up your words with actions. To really tee us up here with this topic of awe. And again, stick with us because I really think part of awe is opening our mindset, being open to new things, which we'll take a deeper dive into. But let's just start with first, and this is as interactive as any of our listeners want to make it. So I'm literally, we're going to take about 10 seconds of silence. Because I want you as the listener, before I get into it and before we hear from Dr. Steller, for 10 seconds of silence, think how you would define what awe means. The word. And one more, I'm only going to spell it one more time for everybody. A-W-E. What is your definition of awe? Then you'll hear my version and then we'll hear from Dr. Steller. But right now, take 10 seconds. Okay, so that was about nine and a half seconds. Here's, and Dr. Steller, I'm really interested, and you know, I really respect you and your work, and we're collaborating on all research. So I'm going to give you my most recent working definition. Be kind if you don't like it. But so here's what I think about awe. Awe, so basically, it's been described as an emotion that's evoked during an experience involving like this sense of vastness. While it also goes beyond one's typical comprehension of their expectations and it creates that need for accommodation, which just basically means a person needs to further understand what it is that they're experiencing. And of course, the way I look at it, and I think going back to the, the leading the original research by Keltner and Haidt back in 2003, all could be experienced in a variety of ways, including nature, space, art, music, religious and spiritual moments, as well as importantly, the person themselves, somebody else's personal accomplishments, as well as social interactions. We'll dig deeper into that because I want to hear from you. But also, one last thing I will say is also awe creates a sense of feeling small quite often. And that's small as in um, my life is pointless and it's insignificant. No, small in a very good, important way in a sense that among many different things, it humbles us and makes us feel more connected more connected to who? People, nature, the universe. I can't help but smile because I'm going to throw it to you, Dr. Steller. I could only imagine 10 years ago, Jeff, if he stumbled upon this podcast, I would hope he sticks around and listens, but I'm sure he'd be like, well, what is really going on here? So Dr. Steller, it goes to you. And then if you're still listening, you're still trying to connect the dots between this and policing, we're going to work our butts off to try and do that. And if you're still wondering about seven, eight minutes from now, there's so much pressure on Chief Gang to connect those dots for you. But, but Chief, you got a few minutes before I come to you. Dr. Stellar, it's all yours. How'd my definition go? It's okay. So Wait, it's okay? It's not bad, it's not bad but it, it's not good either. And it's not your fault because I'm going to say that if you look up uh, in the dictionary. Actually, just don't. It's not useful. It's not, uh, the definition is not going to be your experience of awe, at least for most people. And as emotion researchers, we've really tried to provide a better definition, I think, but we've gotten caught up in some of the academic jargon and the words like need for accommodation that most people don't use. So 
if I had to give you a really short definition, which you didn't ask me to do, but I'm going to do it anyway, I would say that awe is an emotion that we feel in response to something or someone that's extraordinary. And the reason I would give you just that is because really what you mentioned is that awe is about that feeling you get when you see something that is so outside of your normal experience that it it almost catches you off guard. And if I got a longer definition, I would say that awe is this emotion we feel in response to someone or something that's extraordinary and challenges the way you think about the world. They're, they're so extraordinary that you almost see the world in a different way. And I think that's maybe a more friendly version of what you were getting at with this need for accommodation. So I've now seen something that is really beyond the bounds of what I normally encounter. And I have to now change my worldview a little bit or maybe radically to accommodate this new information this new experience because it doesn't fit with my normal experiences. And that doesn't have to be something um, once in a lifetime, right? So you mentioned nature, people might see the most beautiful sunset or just a incredibly beautifully beautiful sunset. And that can be awe-inspiring, but it could also be something even more transformative. So I think part of why awe has been difficult to define is that it's in so many different experiences, like you mentioned, from nature to religion to music, And also because it spreads from maybe more daily experiences that someone could have, a beautiful view, all the way to these really transformative experiences. So it's made it challenging. So it's not on you that the definition still needs a little work. And I think we're not all the way there. But but that's how I would boil it down for an audience that's perhaps not as familiar with this term. Well, yeah, I guess we'll let them decide. But um, if I get to jump in, which I guess I'm allowed to, I kind of think ours was very similar, just set in two perhaps different accents. Um, but we won't make you choose, Chief, because that wouldn't be fair to you. But it's, so one thing that does jump off with me with what you said is, of course, there are those once in a lifetime moments that are obviously awe inducing, such as I had quite a, you know, going to the Grand Canyon or the Great Barrier Reef or even seeing the Eiffel Tower. But I think it's important, which we definitely need to discuss, especially in the context of policing. That's not just awe. There's everyday moments available for us to experience awe. And one of the things that I learned, um, I, I like the way Dr. Kirk Schneider puts it, is if we're open to the experience of awe, we'll find it everywhere. And however, if we go looking for awe, we'll never find it. And Chief, I want to jump to you. So now that you've heard two very similar definitions of awe, perhaps, what's your take initially? And I know you've been um, you've been introduced to the world of awe in the previous symposium, but what's what was your initial take back then? I guess is what I'd want to ask you. And now that you've heard the definitions again, please. Well, the first thing I noticed is that Jenny was very gracious with her uh, explanation of your definition, but we could save that for another time. Um, I, I think I'm probably a lot like a, a most of your listeners right now. What is this awe? What are they talking about? And and certainly as a police leader going, how can we use this to help our people? Um, so when you invited me to be on um, that symposium, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I clicked because your name was on it and you invited me and I respect all the work that you're doing. But to say I had any knowledge of what I was going to talk about, I had no idea. In fact, I went um, the weekend before and actually looked it up, studied it, and uh, watched some videos, Dr. Stellar's video, uh, Dr. Lanny Shiota's video, and uh, really educated myself a little bit on, on what I'm going to be talking about, right? Because 
the last thing you want to do is disappoint uh, Jeff on, on, on a panel. So, uh, but I, I really got excited when I'm finding out that we can leverage modern, first of all, modern technology that's out there to help us, but not only that, but modern science to help our people become better understanding and their emotions and to build their resiliency, particularly with the challenging times that we're finding ourselves in now, when our profession is really being challenged, we need to build up resiliency for our people, not so um, the employee, excuse me, the employer can be successful, but that our employees are healthy enough to go out there and do the job we ask them to do. So really, you know, to answer your question was just educate myself on, on awe, understanding how this can build resiliency, and then finding new ways to partner with you know, culturally competent people like Dr. Uh, Shioto, Dr. Uh, Steller, to be able to bring this in, into a format that we can help our people and bring this into law enforcement. Yeah, it, it, I, I think that's a good segue to bring it back to to you, Dr. Steller, in that this isn't an academic podcast, but I, I like everything. I think this is representative of what the IACP does. We don't just wing things, right? We don't wing it in the world, in, in our world of policing, we've got to know what works and why it works in order to use it, but it's also not one tool in our toolbox. And we have to have a variety of the tools and know how they work to be effective at policing. And that's policing one-on-one anywhere. But now when we look at the terms of awe in a sense that it could be part of our resiliency toolbox, which we covered very ever so lightly back in episode one, and that's why we're doing the deeper dive today, we need to understand the science behind it. And I was hoping maybe, uh, Dr. Steller, can, can you help us understand a bit more of this concept of awe and maybe what this, uh, some studies and importantly, what are the results? Because otherwise, what are we talking about? Sure. And I think that's a, obviously it's an incredibly important question. How can awe be a tool to help promote resiliency? And, and it's, a, it's a study that or an emotion, I should say, that we're learning a lot more about. So we still have a ways to go. But there are some fascinating uh, outcomes to feeling awe that seem to be relatively unique to this emotion, and then others that can be part of a larger toolbox of emotional well-being that can promote resiliency. So I'm happy to share some of the science-based findings that we have in academia, and especially in hopes that the two of you can digest them and help synthesize them for people uh, in policing. So I tend to think about the outcomes as falling into two categories, but they're not separate. One of them is a cognitive category, and, and awe seems to have really important cognitive changes or promote these shifts in, in the way we think about the world. And the other one is really about well-being um, and things like resiliency and connection with others. So I'll start quickly with the cognitive outcomes and feel free to jump in at any point. So some of these cognitive outcomes are, you know, maybe more distant, but obviously related to policing, things like all promoting greater humility, um, a, a better sense of one's boundaries of one's understanding of the world, um, which is really important in humility. And some of them seem almost um, really directly tied to policing. So, in fact, one study has shown that people who are feeling awe are less likely to rely on scripts and perhaps stereotypes that they might be holding. The idea here is that if awe is shifting how you think about the world, it sort of opens you up so that you can see things in a less rigid way than you've seen them, and you'll rely less on maybe these shortcuts or heuristics than you might have relied on in the past. So you can think about it as opening up your mind 
and giving you about a, an amount of flexibility that could be incredibly helpful, I think. Uh, so those are just a couple examples of some of the cognitive shifts that we see. This is, I, this is truly how I, I've always envisioned podcasts are interactive. And when I listen to them, it's an idea I'm thinking out loud or as people are sharing stuff. And this is where I am challenging all of our listeners too, where you mentioned, and I know studies have shown it also helps with um, decision-making and focus. And it helps, and I'm sure you'll say this later too, the idea with regulating emotions, increasing positive ones and negative ones. This, and I, I, I want your thoughts on it too, Chief, but where we talked about even what you said, Dr. Stout, humility. And the first thing I, I, I think of in the Chief, uh, in today's podcast, and the recording, he's wearing his uniform and he's got all those stars on his collar and he's squared away and he looks sharp. And it's that idea though, even like when I've taught recruits in the academy, the power that comes with wearing that uniform and that idea of if we don't keep our ego in check, man, that's not good. That's not good for ourselves, our agency, and especially the public. And again, this is where, no pun intended of any of this, who would have thought like just experiencing and practices of evoking awe can help keep that in balance? And the other one you said in Chief Authority, it's that idea of um, how I basically describe it as open-mindedness. And the key term that I always say when I talk about resilience, two key terms perspective and control. And forget about control for a moment when we talk about perspective. Experience and awe is also subjective. But as you experience awe, it reminds you, as you just said, that open people see the world differently. And that is absolutely something every recruit needs to know in any police academy and also throughout their entire career, especially as they move up through the ranks, but also as they get more seniority on because it's easy to get jaded. And it's easy for that cynicism. This is a great one piece that can help provide a, could provide a buffer, a counter buffer to that. Chief, what do you think? So I, I think you both hit on, on great points. Oh, any police chief sitting out there listening to this going, okay, we have a way to make better decision makers on the street. Ones that maybe will help with implicit bias um, concerns previously. Ones that are going to be more social intelligent, more emotionally intelligent to go out there and, and do the job we ask them to do in this ever-changing world we call the 21st century policing, then, then we have to research those type of things. We have to look out. We have to partner with culturally competent people to help us do better. You know, going back to the academies, the way we were taught 20, 30 years ago, we're still being taught the same exact way, but yet our needs have changed in the profession and our, our desires to have our officers be much more socially intelligent, be able to handle so much more uh, uh, social um, conflict and, and all the things that they're facing. I mean, we have to be able to explore like a science of awe to be able to teach our officers to be more socially competent, more emotionally intelligent, and then understanding why they're making the decisions or even have the emotions that they're having. It's just going to put a better product on the street for our communities. Yeah. And, you know, one thing that comes to my mind is, you know, the incoming New York City mayor, at least as we're talking about this now in the recording, and um, Mayor Adams and how he talks about when he was selecting any of his leaders, including the new police commissioner, eh, the importance of emotional intelligence. And that's exactly what you just described, Chief. And we are past that point of old school policing, whatever that meant, too, right? And we can't change the past. It's about what are we doing today? to make things better today and going forward. And everything can't be about, you know, leadership training or resilience training, or even I say with my work as well, suicide prevention. But here's the thing too, and I know from my work in awe as well as with you, Dr. Stealth, also too, is awe also helps set up 
for whatever the training is or whatever the mind, it makes people open-minded. And this is what I think of you, Chief, right? Like if you want people to be open-minded to whatever a new policy or strategy is you're trying to implement in your agency, or doesn't do that in the sense, but what does or do? It makes them more open-minded to be open-minded to whatever the changes are. And if there's one thing that's constantly happening is change. Before I throw it back to you, Dr. Steller, I just, so one of the things that I do when I collect my data on my or research is anecdotal, but get how do cops describe or experiences? So I just want to sort of read out a couple, and these are from police officers across the U.S. and across Canada. Here's some of the how they describe or experiences, and I'll just read a couple. The first one is: I would define awe as a deep feeling of gratitude and appreciation for a moment. And here's one that I like. I I don't know if this was from New York or not, but I can relate to it. Awe usually makes me feel relief, like a breath of fresh air. It's a relaxing feeling as I'm typically very tense and my brain is running 100 miles per hour. It helps me pause and reset. It sometimes makes me feel emotional and I'm usually not an emotional person at all. I, it's not a sad emotion, but more elated and appreciative of the moment. And the last one I'll read is completely, Oz being completely immersed in the moment, feeling a wave of energy that fills you with inexplicable sense of gratitude and joy. And this is where I'd say, don't you dare try and tell myself or the chief that this is soft, fluffy stuff in policing. Absolutely not. Awe is a hardcore element of resilience and we need to understand it to make it a complement to everything else we're doing. So um, Dr. Stella, let's throw it back to you. If there's more cognitive stuff that you wanted to cover or are we ready to dig deeper into part two, the well-being? It's all yours for the time being. Yeah, I think we should dig into well-being, but it doesn't, um, it's not entirely separate from cognition because some of the well-being benefits I think are precisely because it opens your mind, it opens doors for other types of changes, um, makes you more creative. All these sorts of cognitive changes feed into well-being. Um, but but I wanted to speak to your point about uh not being fuzzy because you know, sometimes if people think, well, well-being is fuzzy, we can't all be happy all the time. We do know people don't want to be stressed. And there's new work coming out that suggests awe is a very good tool for reducing stress. It may be in part because it sort of gives you this bigger perspective on what's happening. It pulls you out of what's happening in your own head, as one of the quotes said, and lets you just see the connections that we have with other people, with the world. So we don't exactly know now how it works, but it does seem to reduce stress. We know it promotes greater well-being. Um, and, and importantly, I think, um, it seems to do some of this through making us feel connected to other people. And we know social connection is really important. We know isolation is really terrible for us as social beings. And it's not, as you said earlier, just about connection to other people, but it might be connection to something more spiritual it could also be connection to um, to nature. And so feeling connected and not feeling like this sort of isolated, singular being floating around in space, that's really important. Um, and I think that uh, these effects that we seem to find for well-being, they're not just about mental well-being as well. They seem to be about physical health and well-being. So my, my own work has shown that awe seems to be related to better immune functioning in terms of having lower levels of inflammation and markers of inflammation. So it's not fuzzy stuff. It's hard science. And so just, hold on, just for clarity, because I read your paper 
many, many times. And this might be the first time some people are hearing that. What do you, how is OA connected to better immune health? And is that what you just said? That is what I said. Um, so we've done a series of studies and we're following up on this now with some experiments, but we've found that people who tend to report feeling more awe in their daily lives, people who I call more awe-prone people, they tend to have lower levels of this damaging biomarker called pro-inflammatory cytokines, which is just a small protein in your body that promotes inflammation. And it's really useful when you're sick or injured um, or you have an infection, but it's not great if it's just floating around your body when none of those things are happening. And if it's elevated chronically, just like hormones people might be more familiar with, like cortisol. Um, if it's floating around without really anything to combat, it starts damaging the body. So um, we looked at a sample of healthy young adults and found that people who are more awe-prone had lower levels of this damaging biomarker. So it's, it's a good first step. Yeah, it's so in chief, I don't know about you, but my first thought that I connect that with is um, Gil Martin's famous work about policing hypervigilance. And it's exactly like what you said there, Dr. Steller, is like those cytokines, yeah, they're important, but it can't be going on the entire time. As police, we need to be vigilant. We can't be vigilant all the time if we're at Applebee's with our family. And Chief, what do you think of how that connects? And almost like it's, I I like how Dr. Steller put that. It's it's a very simple to comprehend, but pretty important. I think it's a great point. There's something that, doctor talked about, and that was uh, connective, uh, connecting, right? That, that feeling of being connected. And if you really think about it, Jeff, when I mean, we look at all the law enforcement leaders we've seen over time, and, and if you can really establish leadership in one word, to me, it's relationships, right? So relationships are all about connectivity, right? I think there's some work that you and I've been doing when it comes to police suicide, and it's the feeling of feeling isolated and not being connected. Right. They're they're in an environment now where it's really being challenged. Right. Society's looking at them, maybe even some of them being demonized. Right. Particularly up in New York City at times. You know, but then you got th- these people that are, are during this covid time. Right. They're losing connectivity. You know, they're going home. They're isolated. Think about if we could just instill a little bit of awe to take away some of those things and those challenges really could help us because, you know, isolation and this lack of connectivity is potentially could lead to suicidal uh, ideology. So those are the type of things that I think that's why I think awe is so important for our profession right now to really kind of connect uh, our people to the education of that and the science of that. And then us as leaders finding ways to really implement that for our people, right? And that's where I think there's a lot of growth opportunities for this profession right now. Yeah, and and we're going to dig deeper in and I'm going to press you a little bit more later on well, okay, hopefully people are starting to buy into this whole concept, but then I'm sure many are like, well, where do we start with it? And we'll, I, all three of us will share our own perspectives because I think we will come from it from unique angles and it's not one size fits all with any of this. And one day I, I want to throw it back to you, Dr. Steller, but as I'm thinking, especially going back to our first episode when we talked with Dr. Tabibnia on like the variety of resilience practices, you know, in in the research world, right? And when you do work in a lab, we can isolate these things. But I always say is the the whole idea is to make research translational, right? How do we take it then from the lab and apply these findings? And in this case, mainly to policing. And let me be very clear, by the way, hopefully if you're listening, it's not just police people, because let's not forget, we're not police 24-7. First and foremost, 
were people wearing uniforms underneath those uniforms were human beings. So what applies and helps us, we're human beings. It applies and helps other first responders. But also as you listen to this, and any of the skills we share across this whole series, share it with your loved ones. Try it out with your loved ones too, because there's a lot of people struggling out there. And people don't have the coping skills necessarily on how to handle things. And that truly one day at a time. And the reason why I just wanted to jump into this is because I think going back to those resilience skills, and I've learned from the data that I've been collecting from officers, as we do what I call a thematic analysis, and I try to pull out themes from the narratives that they give me, how much it quite often overlaps with gratitude. Chief, as you jumped in, as you noticed what Dr. Steller said, it helps combat that social isolation and that idea of what instead it's that connectedness. And it's all something like from my world, these dots are connecting. The person practicing doesn't need to know, or here's one more, cognitive reappraisal. How can you look at something that clearly most likely is not good or positive? How else can you look at it? And we've talked in the past about gratitude practices. Again, and, uh, again, Chief, I can't help but think a moment of awe. And I'm going to throw a question to you, Chief, actually. First, we, we asked in a previous episode, I, I gave a personal experience of working at protests last summer. And they were awful. And real resilience is not about ignoring bad moments. Real resilience is acknowledging it to the right amount that it doesn't immobilize us, but it figures out how to move on and how to look after ourselves and then policing with the work we do. And I was gonna save this for later, but um, let's mix this up. Nobody realizes this, but I'm definitely putting the chief on the spot here. How about give us an awe moment that you have experienced at any point during your police career. So connecting awe to your police career and then Dr. Stella and I are gonna debrief your answer. Thanks for the challenge, Jeff. I really appreciate that. Hey, that's um, why we have you here. Yeah. So going back over, you know, 30 something years of my career, just trying to think of some things, but you know, how many times you're, you're on a call and it's just a miracle that someone survived, whether it's a collision, right? It's a collision. They never should have survived, whether it was a shooting, whether it was an officer or another uh, a victim that you respond to the fact that they survived these shootings and, and they defy quote unquote, all odds and, and they walk away from something. So those are kind of the big events. So like I could name off, you know, hundreds of those in my career, but that's really, for me, um, where it really hits home. Um, I haven't shared that I'm a, a man of faith. So so this, this feeling of having something that's bigger than us, right? That there's this vast world out there. Um, that, that's something that's not new to me. Uh, it comes with my faith, but there's probably a lot of listeners that, that aren't um, feeling that through their faith, but that's okay. Right. Because you still can feel that through this this sense of awe that we all have. You know, I, I can uh, revert back to something, Jeff. Um, there was a situation. I was a new sergeant. Um, we just went to a call. Uh, a baby just passed away. And we found out that um, what happened, the baby didn't die just of, of natural causes. We got a report back that they actually were able to find a cracked skull. Right. So uh, just something that's really, really hard for me. I remember pulling my vehicle out. It was in, when I was in Arizona and I just sat. Um, and I was underneath the desert sky and I looked up and I just saw this, the, these stars were so bright and so brilliant that day. And it was such a, a calming effect on me. And I go, I, at that time, I didn't know what I was experiencing, but I know that it got me through the night and I'm going, you know what, there's something bigger than us. There's a bigger mission here than, than we're able to control. Right. And we can't get over invested in things we can't control. So that's kind of how I tied it into over my career, the, the sense of awe. And again, thanks to you, I can actually put a label and, and a name to it. But before that, I didn't know what it was. So 
there's a tremendous amount of times I could share experiences like that over my career. Yeah, and the one thing I, I'll just add, first of all, thank you for sharing. And there's many of our listeners that have experienced these type of things. And that truly is, and I'm not just throwing out terms just or trying to impress my bosses at Columbia Psychiatry or even Dr. Steller, but that is what real cognitive reappraisal is. It was an awful situation. We don't minimize it. We don't ignore it. But then it's that you connect it to also hardcore resilience is meaning and purpose in life. And you there reflecting on it, but connecting it to spirituality and faith and how a lot of people tell me. And again, I like how you said it. it's not for everybody necessarily, but it, there's quite often always connected to a person's personal faith and then just a grand spiritual connectedness of everything. And it helps us ultimately and um, uh, it helps us cope. It helps us cope and handle that day to get through that day. But Dr. Stella, what do you, what do you, how do you, how do you make sense of this? I mean, yes, thank you for sharing. It's, um, I think we're all going to encounter moments that are so awful. They're beyond our capacity to make sense of them and we may never make sense of them. And so I think all gives us, as you said, that moment, that respite to to stop the swirling of trying to make sense of something you can't make sense of and to open that door to seeing something else and some connection to something else. And I think in the, the, the stark relief of that negative experience, it gives us a little injection of something positive, maybe a bit of hope as well and gratitude and appreciation for what's out in the world in a moment when it would be really hard otherwise, I think to find any of those emotions. So when I'm hearing your experience, I'm 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 hearing that that there was this moment where you were able to reach out and grab on to some of those those posit that positivity in the world when it would be otherwise just near impossible to do so. So I mean I think it's um, awe gives us a bit of that gift, and as you mentioned, Jeff, it's not just pure awe experience. It's got elements of gratitude and hope and connection and spirituality. And I think that's okay. As scientists, sometimes we try and parse it all out, but awe is really messy and complex. And I think we should let it be what it is um, because, because it's some magical combination of those pieces that make it what it is for people to help them be resilient. So just for me uh, on that point, and, and I appreciate, I guess, the better explanation for me, but it took away hopelessness. Right. And that and that's really how I could define it. Right. Because as police officers, we want to control things, right? We're type A personalities, we want to control everything. We can't control everything. It doesn't work. Right. So it just took away that hopelessness in that time, in that moment, and really made me feel better and, and, and made me allowed to move on with my day and, and be the supervisor and, and be um, mentally aware of what was going on so I could be there for others. So it really helped me in that sense. I'm glad now, years later, I get it defined for me. But really, that's kind of how I felt in that moment. Well, and you know how you mentioned that important important term, the hopelessness, and it helps shift your perspective because yet again, how I mentioned earlier, the two key terms I always talk about resilience was perspective and control. And here's the, here's the kicker with it: there's lots of awe research that shows people that experience awe it helps them better able to handle ambiguity. And ambiguity simply means things that they're not sure of, and also beyond their control. And this is where I still haven't studied it for I don't know how long. It's just, this is the thing where I tell myself, stop trying to be an academic or pretend to be an academic. Just experience it. It feels pretty good to experience those all moments. 
Um, Doctor, I'm throwing it back to you in one second, but how about let's hear now from a couple more awe stories from police officers, patrol officers. I'm going to read out too, because it's not just those massive significant moments. Sometimes it's just, so here, here's the way I look at this and when the two stories I'm going to share. And when I try to help other officers with the, you know, resilience and try to say, look, it's not just the current catchphrase checkbox training that sometimes, you know, we think that's what's being shoved down our throat. It's coming to terms with, again, Chief, what you said, perspective and control in the sense we're not necessarily changing what we see. It's changing how we see it and how we experience it. So let's hear two, quote unquote, everyday stories of uh, patrol, patrol officers. One was um, walking the beat and the other was in their patrol car. So the first one is, I was, I was once stopped in my footsteps by a buttercup. I was working a police beat in a very tough inner city area, concrete and filth all around me. This buttercup decided this was its home and it broke through the concrete. Maybe it was the situation, but I was so taken aback by its strength and its drive to live. It distracted me for a moment from what I was there for and stayed with me. This image of the buttercup breaking through the concrete under the most impossible set of circumstances more than 15 years ago. And I was, I can't make this stuff up. Like if I wanted to write like a typical old narrative and again, for me, I was like, wow, that was, that was pretty amazing that this officer shared this with us. And I, this is where, Chief, um, I'll read the second one in a second, but I want to touch base with both of you. This is where, look, I'm not, I, let's be realistic. We're not changing everybody's mind with one simple podcast, whether they're hearing about one research study or nothing. But this is where I'd say, please, to the, to the man or woman listening to this, don't act like such a tough guy or a tough woman. Allow yourself, like, come on, we've got to get past that. Let you so lay down your barriers a little bit, and I, it's not even an awesome story because I'm I know there's the cynical person out there saying what what is this uh, whatever I always use this made up voice I don't know who it is when I talk about the typical cynical and it's more of a guy usually <laughs> we'll give him a name for episode four but anyway this is where I'd say I I did a peer training a couple months ago and one of the toughest guys in the room and I'd say like he was big muscle guy kind of like you chief and the guy. We go around now in these trainings, we ask them to tell an awe story or just, you know, positive things going on. And the guy said, you know what? A couple of times a week, he had a two-year-old daughter. He goes, we both dress up in princess outfits and we run around the house dancing and singing. And here it is. I mean, think about this guy. Like, if you're allowing yourself to be vulnerable with your child, that's awesome. It's not just those moments. There's these other tiny ones. But jumping back to you First, Dr. Steller, about that little snippet story, and then I'll come to you, Chief. Any thoughts on that? I Yeah, I do have thoughts. I love the Buttercup story, uh, and I've heard similar stories. So I I don't know if I've told you this, but one of the favorite ones I read was about a person pouring cream in their coffee and watching the cream swirl around the coffee. And now I look at it, and it is beautiful to watch that cream mixed into your coffee, but how many times have all of us poured a cup of coffee, poured some cream in it, and just dashed off on our way? And this person actually took the time to look at almost this artistic perspective on what their coffee was doing. And I think it's a really important point because, as you mentioned, sometimes people have these expectations and in order to feel awe, it has to be these big moments. But these small moments, maybe looking at a tree for me in fall, I love looking at the trees change color. I live in Canada, so the trees are maple trees often and they're bright red or yellow. 
and looking at actually each leaf and how it's changing, how the tree is moving and the passing of time, that could do it for me every time. I, if I find a nice tree, you can find me there for 30 minutes looking at it. And, and I think finding those little moments are, are actually really the moments we can leverage for our well-being. I'd love for us to all have amazing travel experiences that we could share every week, but we don't do that. So finding it in the everyday, I think, is is the tool that we need to cultivate to, to promote our well-being, to become you know, better at our jobs, whatever those might be. Um, and so I'm glad you're you're putting a spotlight on those little moments because I think that's where a lot of the power lies in those small, small but impactful moments. And right, we don't have to think grand and large all the time. It's think smaller. And then people will house small, smaller, whatever you're thinking. Chief, what'd you think? So a couple of things. And, you know, Jeff, when you, you invite me on, there's always going to be some humor to it. So, number one, the first thing I heard, buttercup, I'm thinking it must be an NYPD term for some type of person. <laughs> right? Wasn't sure what buttercup was until you got to. It came up through the sidewalk, but then I got it. And then um, to the guy in the, in the princess outfit. So it's not just me. Uh, I, I appreciate that. So, um, but no, if, I, if I'm being serious here for a moment, it's like, our predecessors really have not done us any justice, Jeff. Um, you know, the autocratic militaristic leaders who didn't care about anybody, who just were, we were just components in their machine, have not done our profession at all. I'll set out there and I'll submit that we have to lead with love, right? We have to care about our people. We have to be in touch with ourselves and our emotions and what that's all about. That's how this profession is going to get better, right? That's how we're going to move forward. And that's how we're going to meet the policing demands of 21st century policing. So I think that this awe thing just ties right in uh, to all the things that we need to do uh, as far as moving forward. Understand we have to let our guards down. There's nothing wrong with a leader that it's vulnerable, share stories. And I really do think the difference between a culture of wellness in your organization and an officer wellness program could just be the leadership and bringing that, leading with love and being vulnerable and being able to share those stories. Yeah, and it's pretty amazing hearing that coming from you. And with your, what, over 32 years of experience. And again, I think that term experience. And maybe years ago, we'd be the, the oddballs out where, like, we'd be the so few. But in a, I'll just speak for myself, having traveled much of the country and other countries as well in the policing community. Our numbers are so much larger than they used to be. And in a lot of these settings, we outnumber the cynics or the people that want to be a naysayer and just... It's one of those people like, you know, you, you give them 20 bucks, they'll say, well, why didn't you give me 40 or it's stuff like that. And I just tell people, look, I won't be able to change your mind today, but it's also that just zaps all your energy. That person that just complains and sees everything through a negative mindset in chief, we know we're like, and, you know, Dr. Stella, you shared it too, how it helps with your immune system. That negativity, that cynicism, that's the disease that eats us alive from the inside out, especially in policing. And you know what? We usually don't realize it till it's too late. And that's why so many officers die within five years of retirement because they didn't take care of themselves. And we won't get into, well, whose responsibility is it? I, I'll say it. it's the agency's responsibility, but it also shares the individual's responsibility. And that's sort of that idea of self-efficacy and resilience. Believe in yourself, but also take ownership. Don't just sit there, keep waiting. Well, what do they do? When are they going to fix this? When are they going to fix that? I say to people, well, what are you doing today to look after yourself while we try to fix these bigger things? And I think that's only fair that dual look at things. And I don't know if either of you want to jump in. 
or I can read the next story. You both, Dr. Stellar, what do you want me to do? Well, I would just say, you know, I do think awe is, is something that people can actively cultivate. And I like your description of there are larger organizational societal changes that are all happening right now. They're big changes. They're going to take a while to work on. And so what can you do as an individual so that you don't feel like you lack control and you don't feel like what you're doing doesn't matter? And I think awe is one of those small but really rewarding and impactful things you can do for yourself. And so I would just restate that point because I think um, people are sometimes cynicism breeds sort of laziness and and not being able to get up and, and do things. And I think this is a small thing that you can do for yourself. People like all experiences. We've talked about this a lot. Whatever it is for you, if it's nature, if it's music, whatever makes you feel awe, doing more of that, that's something that that hopefully you want to do. Um, and so we're not asking you to do something terrible and arduous and and painful. This is something that you might enjoy and will bring you benefits down the line. I think that's important to remember because it's people are tired and it's hard at the end of the day to want to improve self-improve um but but these all experiences are things that i think are both enjoyable and can lead to growth and improvement and reduce stress hey so i just realized dr stellar i kind of put the chief on the spot a little bit earlier by i'd say making him but i don't have the authority to make a chief do anything so i kind of requested nudged pushed him into sharing his or story in the work environment but going back to what i said earlier in the world of police and as much as we love our jobs and it's more than you know just a job it's it's our calling we eventually go home and we're not police 24/7 we're human beings 24/7 so i want to ask you how about if you don't mind and please don't make this awkward so i hope you'll be okay with it how about you share with us in all moment and all, ex- all experience outside of the fantastic work that you do from your personal life sure happy to and, you know, I used to, when I would ask, was asked this question, I used to talk a lot about nature um, because I'm somebody who loves being out in nature and I find a lot of awe in nature. But I thought today I would share another experience because I think it also, a lot of people will relate to this experience. I um, I felt awe when I had my first child. So I now have an 18 month old, um, but having her the very first moments of life with her the fact that you know my partner and I created this human and even uh today so it's not a singular experience but watching her learn things things that we take for granted as being very obvious um but seeing the world through her eyes and and the the sort of sense of gravity i have of responsibility of her life as a parent but also all of the joy i think um for me, it, it ties back to something so ancient and human and and that connection that we have to our our future and our past and our ancestors. And so really that experience of of having her not just the childbirth part, but the 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 raising of my my daughter has brought me a lot of awe. And and it's it's actually not something that comes up very it's not rare. People talk about um, raising children, having children as this very um, connecting experience, this awe-inspiring experience. Frustrating, although it may be, it's also incredibly um, rewarding and, and, and creates all sorts of things like gratitude and hope um, that we've talked about. So for me, I think 
that's one of those experiences that it really just doesn't compare to anything else that I've had in my life. And and I would say is at, at least in, in my top awe experiences uh, ever. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. And like you said, even in these old narratives that I've been collecting from law enforcement officers of all ranks in uniform and civilian, that does come up quite often a lot, the birth of a child. And regardless of whether it was only a few months ago or many years, and here's the thing, I know people listening to just the audio, but you smiling as you tell that story and then me smiling and thinking then of other people share that, it just, it feels good feeling good. And awe is absolutely, absolutely one of those feel good emotions. How about, can you tell us a little bit more about all these different research studies? What was it that the researchers were doing to evoke awe in the participants in the studies? I don't know if you can share some of that with us. Sure. And and there's all sorts of diverse ways that creative ways that researchers have used. So, you know, we can go from things that are maybe a little less creative, but really useful, like just asking people to recall times they felt awe. We can track people across their daily experiences and ask them right at the end of the day so we can capture those momentary smaller experiences. But, um, you know, we we can also show them video clips that we know tend to elicit awe. We can go even more technologically advanced. We can use virtual reality, which some researchers are really um, interested in to create that sort of three-dimensional experience of awe, since as we've talked about it, it's this response to something that often is bigger than you. Um, and then we can we can do things like bring people into nature. Um, we can, um, yeah, take them to to places that are incredibly beautiful that we know, Grand Canyon, for example, will elicit awe and and try and ask them questions while they're there. Um, and then, you know, one one sort of novel, interesting method people have used is showing especially videos of space. I know for me, when I think of uh, space, even just thinking of it, but also seeing visual representations of it, it really boggles the mind, right? How big it is and how much is out there. And so um, people know this. They've talked to astronauts who've gone out into space and had these experiences of seeing Earth as this pale blue dot. Um, and so there's a, for those of you who might have heard of it, this, this is a phenomenon called the overview effect of seeing um, Earth and space and this, this vast distance that we have that's really almost incomprehensible that tends to be a reliable way to, to make somebody feel awe. But yes, there are tons of different ways. Even um, people in, in music have used, uh, had people bring in their most awe-inspiring music to listen to in the lab. So there's a lot of really interesting ways because awe is so much an active ingredient in many different experiences from religious to nature to art that researchers have used to, to try and invoke that emotion in people. Yeah, and just so people understand, it's that overview effect was experienced by NASA astronauts and none of us are NASA astronauts. And I don't think any of our listeners are, but some of the really cool research findings and to be clear for our listeners were then participants that watched videos of that, whether just like a regular video or even VR. And that's where they weren't in outer space, but it can still evoke that sense of awe and get these same positive ripple effects out of it. It's just truly amazing. So I'd like to thank everybody that's listening to us. They're like, oh, that was awesome. Thanks so much, Dr. Seller. This has been a really fantastic podcast. Now I'm just 
cheering myself on too much. They're probably mm -hmm. saying, hey, is there still time left to segue to Chief Gang and maybe have an open conversation on how do we implement this in our agency? Big, small, medium, no matter where we are in the country. So that's exactly what we're going to spend the last minutes of this episode on is figuring out how how can this be implemented. And I've got a variety of ideas and thoughts. And I'm going to first start with you, Chief. But before I come to you, one thing, and as a reminder to everybody, if you go to the ISCP website where this episode is listed, much like for every episode at the very bottom, we have lots of resources to learn more about the studies that Dr. Steller talked about, as well as links to other things, including there's, um, I won't go too deep into it, but a program that I run for free, mainly for police agencies, is a five-day awe project, where really all it is is watching a video in the morning and evening for five days and just sharing a brief uh, perspective on it. But anyway, Chief, what do you have? What are some thoughts on implementation? And I know you've been working with another awesome researcher in the field of awe. So what do you have for us? Yeah, so I, I appreciate you uh, allowing me to kind of to share what we're looking to do here. Um, as you know, being uh, innovative and, and uh, progressive is something that's really been a part of uh, our leadership out here. Um, <clears throat> there was a white paper that was written out of uh, San Diego, and it talked about um, policing through the pain and how unaddressed and untreated trauma will lead the officer to be more propensity to violence to himself and others. Right. So when you're talking about suicide, you talk about uh, uses of force. That's really, really an important study for us to think about. So, you know, sitting back and thinking about, OK, how can we reduce these type of traumas? Right. This transferable trauma that these officers are experiencing. Right? you may have an officer that goes at 10 8, which means in service. His first call may be a death of a baby. Now, what does he do throughout the rest of that day? He may go to another 10, 20 calls and then we're transferring trauma from one call to another call to another call. So I was really thinking back, and then after having your symposium, which was uh, very eye-opening for me, uh, I reached out to Dr. Lani Shiota, and we had coffee. And I said, listen, I, I need to find a way that we can introduce awe into our profession. I wanted to design something called the Critical Incident Reset, CIR, Critical Incident Reset, where if an officer goes to a situation like that, that he can come back and do an exercise, whether at the computer or in his vehicle, and introduce some awe, whether it's a, a video, whether it's um, the, a loop of, of photographs, of music, something that they could bring them back to this sense of, okay, I can move on with my day. I'm not gonna transfer this trauma throughout my entire um, rest of my shift. So again, it's just a critical incident reset where we can bring in awe, whether it's through video, whether it's through imagery, whether it's through music, they could do it in their MDC, on, in their vehicle, so they don't have to come off the street, but before you even go to another call, you cannot go further. You can't go to another call. You can't accept another detail until you go through this process. Now, do we know if it's going to work? We don't know. But the bottom line is, as leaders, we have to take chances. We have to take risks to bring new innovative ways to make our people healthier. So the other thing we're doing is we, we have 50-inch monitors throughout our police department. Starting in 2022, we're going to have a constant loop of imagery and videos going out throughout our organizations. So before, when you walk into the briefing room, there's going to be an awe video playing. There's going to be imagery. You'll have your briefing. And then before you leave, there'll be a video playing and some imagery playing before you leave. So this is going to be throughout the entire process of their workday. So the question is, is it before their workday? Is it after? Is it throughout their workday? Well, it's D, all of the above. 
right? We want to be able to have it when they start their day. We want to be able to have it when they finish their day, but we want to have it interjected throughout their day so they can fear the feel these senses of awe and hopefully, like you said, reduce stress, reduce trauma, and then hopefully make people a better officer and certainly healthier so they can do the job that we need them to do in this changing environment that we find ourselves in the challenges we find ourselves in. Yeah, and I like how you, at the end there, specifically, I like how you told it. it, it starts with the individual, right? And when we talk about resilience, this is where, look, there's plenty to argue about in America, Canada, anywhere, many, many topics that we can argue over. But this truly, I can't see how people can argue or disagree with this when the officer is looking after his own well-being and his mental health and his his or her resilience. That makes him better, a better human being, first and foremost. Then it makes them better at what they do, in this case, policing. And who are they in charge of policing? Keeping the public safe and the community safe. So this is where I say it's, it, it is more than just that cliche win-win. And it is truly in everybody's best interest. And the way you described it, it really doesn't have to be that complicated. But Dr. Stella, what do you think with what you just heard there from the chief? I mean, I love these interventions. I love them for different reasons, because I think you're right that there are these moments that are really tragic. They're traumatizing. And what are what's happening for first responders, for officers after these moments? There's there's nothing. Um, they're just going on to the next piece of their day. So, so taking a moment, and it's not even like you're asking for very much time, a moment to let somebody take a breath, get out of the space they were in, reset and get into a new, hopefully better mindset uh, is going to be, uh, I think, really important because it's not just something that we do maybe at the end of the day, but it could be maybe even more impactful if, if done at the right time when someone's really struggling. So I love the first one for that reason. And the second one, because of the opposite reason that it's sort of happening all the time in the environment, in the background, it's becoming this sort of part of your physical environment. It's on when you come in, it's on in the five minutes before you're waiting for a meeting to start. Um, bringing awe in, in that way, I think is a really different way or a different method for getting at this goal of encouraging um, moments in people's days. Um, and so it, there are very different strategies and I think they're, it'll be really interesting to see how they can impact people's mental health and well-being and resiliency. So just real quick, I think it's really important that it becomes the culture of our organization. It's not a program. It becomes the culture of our organization. I think that's really the key, right? We have to normalize this. It's not like you, know, you went through a bad experience, so now you have to go do this. But when we're normalizing, the chief of police is going through these exercises all the way down to the first officer. It, it makes it part of the culture of what you're doing. And it really shows the importance, if, if certainly if your chief is doing it uh, throughout the organization and creating that culture of wellness, which is so important. Yeah, and I agree. One one of the pieces we, because there's so many things to talk about, we didn't have time to talk about is feeling awe for your organization, feeling a connection to that organization that you're part of something bigger than yourself. And part of that is feeling awe towards leaders too. And so I think to some degree, leaders that um, show that they care about your individuality as a person, your well-being, your health, when you have the uniform on, but also when you have it off and you're just at home with your family, making sure that you're okay. Um, and not just for the bottom line of keeping you in the force, but also because they genuinely care about your well-being. That can also inspire all within the organization in a different way, right? It's not just about infusing that emotion in through 
through um, pictures and videos, but also through the relationships that you have to the organization and to the leaders in it. And I think that's another unspoken way that awe, it can be put right into the culture rather than sort of feeling like it's oppressively put on people by someone above them is that it's being done by everybody in the organization and that it's something that signifies that the leaders really care about your well-being and your happiness and your health, um, which may not be something everyone feels about the whatever organization you're in about the leaders in your organization. I agree. Thank you so much for your input. It's really uh, just inspiring to, to be with you today. And, and also you have to hear that at least the strategies, you know, we're going to try. We're going to try and make sure our people are healthy throughout their entire career so they can enjoy retirement afterwards and spend time with their family and just be better, better people for themselves and, and for their family. Yeah. And, and, you know, you look at it too, it, and I hope people do reach out to you, Chief, to learn more. And I look forward to having you on a future episode to get an update on that. And one of the things that I think of quite a lot when we look beyond just awe itself, but resilience practices, and I like how you say it's, it, it can't, it's not just a program. It's got to be infused into the culture. And examples of like tying awe into like what we talked in previous episodes at the end of um, someone's shift or their tour and doing whether what, one day doing a gratitude practice and the variations, something good that happened on your ship today, anything. And then the variation, something that somebody did nice for you or something, what's one thing that you did nice for somebody? And again, the cynical people, oh, I did plenty of nice things. And this is the neuroscience. Okay, pick one, let's hear about it. And then I tell people, now add to it an awe moment. And it's just that, oh, I didn't really have anything awe. Okay, well then how about recently? What's something that evoked awe in you? And this is where it just, it, it creates a bit of vulnerability to share that story with, and these are your brothers and sisters in blue. And that's where it builds that. You want to talk about the slow push towards culture change? There's no quick fix to any of this, but it's legit and it's genuine. And then the, the one thing that I've been thinking about in collecting these awe stories, and I'll throw it to both of you, just I can't help but think like sometimes I'm still wondering, well, what am I going to do with all these? I'm not sure yet. I've got really great awe stories. But it, as you were sharing your story much earlier, Chief, and then um, Dr. Stellar, yours as well. It just keeps coming back. It reminds me that we're human beings and we're constantly trying to build better connections between the police and the community. I can't help but think like officers sharing their own moments, whether it's a personal story or a police related one. It just reminds us there's a person behind that uniform and we're not just the police. The police is made up of human beings. And sharing, figuring out ways to share those stories, not just with the public, but internal, because we also know, Chief, a lot of the issues in policing of police stress is in-house. It's organizational stress. And this reminds us, regardless of your rank, we also have universal experiences of all, and it can help remind us that, hey, yeah, you might be the chief, you might be the captain, they might be the detective or the cop, but also let's not forget we're also united in this. I don't know, thoughts on that? Um, I'll go to you, Chief, then Dr. Stellar. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head, right? It's that whole concept of human behind the badge, right? It's coming a little bit of a cliche now, human behind the badge, but basically that's what we are, right? This is not who we are. I mean, this is not, excuse me, this is not who we are, right? This is what we do for a living, right? And, and for many of us, there's a lot of loving hearts behind that badge, but as a profession, we don't share that narrative very well. Uh, we there's like a lot of growth opportunity for us to do that. So can you imagine a day where our social media, where you have an officer who comes on maybe uh, on a, on Monday and shares his awe story with the community? 
Uh, so that's the where that's the kind of the angles and where we need to go, right? It's a path that's been not traveled very well. We need to share our narratives a little bit, and we need to share with our communities that we are humans, right? We have the same susceptible, uh, uh, you know, to uh, to prescription medications, to alcoholism, to all those type of things. We have to share those stories so other people could better understand who we are, so we could better serve our communities. Yeah, and thank you, Dr. Steller. Yeah, well, one of the other points I wanted to mention, because I think Chief made a lot of great points that I won't say again, is that the connection to people with each other, to police officers with each other. And I think, um, you know, it's not just about people in the community only seeing that uniform, but also the sometimes that people within the police force might see each other as just these uniforms. And so sharing vulnerability um, with your fellow brothers and sisters seems to me a great place to start to build trust, to build connection um, within within the group, the organization itself. So I just, I wanted to add that, but otherwise, you know, I think there's so many benefits to to humanizing a person that might otherwise not be humanized that, you know, we could spend a whole episode on just those. So, Fortunately, well, unfortunately, hopefully not fortunately for people listening, we're out of time. I want to keep going, but I know my uh, bosses at the IACP tell us keep it to roughly the hour mark, and I try to stay true to that, going slightly a minute or two past it sometimes. One thing I didn't get a chance to say and before I throw it to each of our guests for their final comments is I every episode I wear a different t-shirt. It's not a sponsorship. It's my T-shirts, and I like to wear meaningful ones. So for today, I'm wearing a T-shirt that says Live a Great Story. And they're just a really awesome, awesome organization. And the way I wear it, it's a reminder. I need lots of reminders to practice what I preach. And I'm not saying none of us are not living a great story, but to remind us to keep doing it. And when it comes to awe, push ourselves. Push yourself out of your comfort zone, because that's a bit of what awe is, too, in a good way. And that's what drives us doing what we do as police. We signed up for this, for the non-normal, typical job. And use that to apply it to being open to all experiences. Travel if you can. That's my personal thing. I know COVID's messing with all this. But travel if you can. Even travel small, as Dr. Seller, as Stella said earlier. Travel in your own neighborhood. And I said last episode, too, I love going for walks, hikes, and um, running through even in Queens. And we have parks. Yes, we have trees. We have trails in Queens. So I necessarily haven't been back to Europe or I haven't been up to Canada in a while, but it's doing what we can. And that's what resilience is, too. So remind yourselves, live a great story, keep doing it. And before I come back and wrap it up, let's go first to you, Dr. Stellar. Any last comments you want to share with everyone? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you for having me. It's really such an opportunity to chat with both of you. And I think academia needs more of this, which is, you know, conversations outside of, of the field, the ivory tower that we live in to figure out how to make awe accessible and useful and something p- people can experience in their daily lives. So I wanted to say that first. And, and then second, um, you know, building off your point, there are lots of opportunities to experience awe, and I always recommend people find whatever it is for them that makes them feel awe. Not everybody feels awe in nature. That's okay. If you're somebody who loves art, go to a museum if you can. Go to a symphony when we're having those again, um, you know, or or listen to some music on your computer that you really love. 
Um, and I would also add, I think I've become more interested in have those experiences with other people, with a partner, with a friend, with a family member, because, uh, it, you know, emotions are powerful, but they're more powerful when we feel them together. And those experiences that push us out of our comfort zone can also bind us to the person that we're with in that moment. Um, and so, you know, I know you're focused on police officers, but yes, those police officers go home and they're moms and dads and sons and daughters and brothers and sisters. And so, you know, having those um, social experiences of all, I think is actually, I hope someday to do more research on that, but but I, I can tell you from what I've heard from my own participants and in my own life, having those experiences together is something that I think is really important. Um, so I, I, I would I would always say what I finish on, which is that awe is not a luxury. It's something that we should build into our daily lives. And if we can do that with other people, all the better. Yeah. And, and thank you, Dr. Steller. And from a personal note, it's as I said, in I think the last episode, it's the more I do this kind of work, I try and surround myself with like-minded, good-hearted people. And you truly are. First of all, thank you for the work that you do in the research. It's helped me. Thank you for wanting to collaborate with me and doing more our research. And I, I really invite people, whether you're a researcher or not, check out some of our work. And the links will be there on the webpage. And uh, before I throw it to you, Chief, too, it's a, acknowledging the IACP, too, for taking a chance on this podcast to have these types of conversations that I don't really think are happening anywhere else. And I'm not knocking other people, but we're, we're, we're really taking this deeper dive into the world of resilience in the research and then having also our policing experts like you, Chief. So it, as much as I appreciate Dr. Stella, it's also great being able to yeah, converse with you again. So any last thoughts from you? Yeah, just uh, very blessed. Uh, again, uh, I sit there in these um, symposiums and these panels and, and I think pages of notes. So every time I leave, I, I leave with me more educated than I was before. So uh, doctor, thank you so much for, for all the insight you gave me today. And uh, I will be reaching out to you because I think there's ways that we can partner to help our profession. I do want to thank IACP, always bringing best practices forward. Uh, I've been on their learning collaborative for Office of Wellness. We're going to be on it again next year. So really, really appreciative of IACP for what they're doing for the profession in regards to Office of Wellness. Uh, and then just something for other leaders. It's okay to not know what you don't know, right? Reach out and, and do some research and find out what there is out there so you can help your people. And I'll say this, that one person can change the world, right? Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King, Gandhi, they changed the world. Don't think that if you're listening today, you can't go back to your organization and change the culture of your organization and use awe to help you do that. I'll have to say again that you leave with love, right? It's really, really important. And it's just a concept that we have to change and move forward to. And then the last thing I'll leave is be the leader that you would be inspired to follow. Again, be the leader that you would be inspired to follow. See, here in Panola, there's something that we do. It's not just literally, but figuratively speaking. We actually wear, I don't know if you could see it, a heart on our sleeve to remind us of the importance of, of leading that way and leading with love. So, Jeff, thank you so much. You know how impressed I am for all the work that you've been doing. And I look forward to continuing our partnerships. Yeah, and excellent. Well said. And that's cool uh, with the image that you showed. We'll have to get that tweeted out or something and put it on the bottom of the page. And I'll just keep it short and brief to all our listeners. Thank you for supporting us. And especially the law enforcement, which I imagine the majority of the listeners are, you do great work every single day. Every single day you help the public, you take care of people and you protect them. And make sure you're looking after yourself. That's not selfish. It's smart and you deserve positive mental health. 
So be well, be safe until next time. Thank you, everyone. This project was supported in whole or in part by cooperative agreement number 2017-VI-BX-K001, awarded by the U.S. Department of Justice Office of Justice Programs. And as always, the opinions contained herein are those of the speakers and do not represent the official position or policies of the U.S. Department of Justice or the IACP. References to specific individuals, agencies, companies, products, or services should not be considered an endorsement by the speakers. Rather, the references are illustrations to supplement discussion of the issues. Thanks for listening to today's episode. You can visit learn.theiacp.org podcast to view show notes from today's episode and to find additional ways you can learn from leaders in the field.